Thank you for downloading this episode of the Football Purist Podcast. Please help by subscribing and check out footballpurist.com. Well, it's the fixture we've all circled. Really going back to last May. Manchester City, the strange enigma of European football. From Pep and the best squad money can buy to their many injuries and their many trophies, bizarre attempts at history and support to the fits and starts in Champions League. They become Liverpool's nearest rival performance-wise over the last two years, while the clubs couldn't be any further apart from supporters or history. So with that, welcome back to another episode of the Talk On podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Hallett. And I've got with me our chief editor, John O'Sullivan. Hey, John. Hey, Jeff. How are you? It's good to be back on. Excited for this fixture. Excited and maybe a little bit nervous because of how much could potentially hinge on it. 11 weeks in, it's all we've been thinking about because of the gulf in performance in the Premier League this year. It's just us two. And, you know, Brendan Rogers on a good day. <laughs> 100%. I mean... You could probably count on one hand the amount of Premier League games Liverpool have been very good in this season. Yes, you know, they've won 10 from 11 and their only draw was a game where there was VAR controversy away to their biggest rivals. So that means that match took on a life of itself and the form book more or less goes out the window. So it's been an absolutely sensational start, but it still hasn't felt like we've really caught fire. So hopefully Sunday is the day for that. We just need... City to catch fire in the opposite way, right? Just start to fall apart. And, you know, who knows? Um, <laughs> as we do in these previews, we're going to cover City, look at the club today, and then we'll get down to the pitch, see how they plan to set up their recent run of form and league away. And then we'll do the same for our lads, the fun part of the pod for us. And then we'll finish up with some of the key matchups, like what to watch, a score prediction, and then we'll be out of here. So speaking of City of the Club, let's start. I, I guess the camera would pan to that social media post, that that job post they had to pretend as if there's environment, atmosphere, cool things to do. Yeah. <laughs> that was the most contrived 2019 plastic, fake, frankly disgusting thing I think I've ever seen. And the one thing that really irked me about it, like, let's put aside the fact that they're trying to build like this false, maybe persona of being like this big club. The tweet said that basically they're in the Champions League group with relatively unknown teams. But the disrespect <laughs> that shows towards, first of all, Dinamo Zagreb, who are probably the biggest club in, in a big footballing nation like Croatia. Croatia have produced... Ballon d'Or winners in the last few years and Luka Modric, they've gone to World Cup finals, they've been to they've been deep in the World Cup in other years they've been deep in European Championships so to say that about one of the biggest clubs or probably the biggest club in that country was highly, highly uh, disrespectful and it's the same with Shakhtar Donetsk Shakhtar 
have won the Europa League slash UEFA Cup in the last decade. They're Champions League regulars. They win their domestic league nearly all of the time. So to say that really kind of irked me because who are City? City are this artificial artificial club built basically to launder the image of a tyrannical uh, regime in the United Arab Emirates. I love I that you said that. Manchester City are like breast implants. They might be <laughs> nice to look at from afar, but they're fake. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think of them just being in the US. I think of them as the Las Vegas of European football. You know, it's like everything isn't as you seem. Yeah, it's a de- it was a desert built upon by mobs. Um, yeah, cities, perfectly appropriate. Yeah. Um, City was basically a desert in terms of having success. And now they've got built upon with this kind of fake and plastic kind of uh, empire. So uh, they wouldn't be... And the funny thing is, I used to have a lot of respect for City because going back years, even when they're in the third division, they used to sell out. They had a very loyal fan base. And you can always tell on social media, I think, the older City fans versus the younger ones because the older ones are so kind of world-weary and so pessimistic because that's what they're used to. Despite these last few years of success, they were used to being in the third division. They were used to relegation. They were used to being by far the second the second club in their city. And now all of a sudden there's a lot of success. And uh, I think a lot of their maybe modern fans are very entitled now because of that. Pep, who has put together a pretty impressive run, his performance is on the pitch anyway, unassailable. Uh, he's done the best with the players he's had. He just has had like a ridiculous amount of quality and last two years, especially doing the double last year, like can't argue with that. His champions league performances have been unlucky. That's probably all you can say about them. And he's coming to where is he in his deal? Is he like four years out of six or? Yeah. I think he has no more than 24 months left. Yeah. So, let's flash forward into knockout stages and champions league this year. If you were to miss yet again, would you see Pep back next year? I, I think it would be hard to imagine he's already done, did the double last year. He's done league twice in a row. He's got Klopp living rent, rent free in his head, like really since 1718. There was a lot of talk that Guardiola's wife has moved back to Spain. Now, obviously I'm not in a position to confirm that or nor deny it. <laughs> but um, there's been rumors linking them with possibly going back to Barcelona next season. Um, what I will say is that I feel like he's kind of swimming against the tide in terms of uh, Europe and Manchester City. He always references the fact that they have no culture in European football. Their fans don't know how to respond to it or how to greet it, like, say, a Liverpool. And, you know, it's, you can't prove it with statistics or, you know, you can't measure it. But there's just certain clubs like Real Madrid, like Liverpool, that just have an affinity with the European Cup. And I, I, I don't know how you can buy that. Uh, it's just this real intangible thing, this real culture around the football club. I mean... City could have all the great players in the world, but it's not intimidating to go to the Etihad on a European night. Whereas when you go to Anfield on European night, or you say you go to the Bernabeu, or even even like with a club that's been less successful, like Celtic at Celtic Park, there's just a special atmosphere and it's a real leveler. It really kind of like nearly intimidates the opposition and lifts the home fans. And like there's a lot of big Champions League games where City aren't even selling out. I mean, this is why they took 
they took the initiative to try and hire someone for their social media to try to drum up interest in the club participating in the Champions League. Because that's so, going to do it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They, 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 it's very hard to explain because there's no real explanation. They just don't have a culture of it. They don't, they like, they boo the Champions League anthem for one at the start of games. They, it's like they don't appreciate the competition, but was, whereas for clubs like Liverpool and Real Madrid, it's sewn into the fabric and the identity of the club. It's, it's really left an indelible mark in the stories of both of those clubs. And, you know, they just seem to get it done there. I mean, I think in 17-18, were Liverpool the second best team in Europe because they got to the Champions League final? No, certainly not. And nor do I think were Real Madrid the best team in Europe that season. Just the European Cup is just a special thing for them and they, the cream rises to the top. And in terms of European history, those are two of the biggest clubs in it. You mentioned like the classic supporters that were there fighting relegation between League 2, League 3. Like, I wonder if this modern city under Sheikh Mansour and all the flush of cash just to get supporters in the park you know they built the Etihad and like to get fans in you know it's been a bunch of cheap tickets and it's almost like they don't care and dumb intros for the players coming in like trying to manufacture excitement that just isn't there listening to a sports match in North Korea (laughs) I don't know what else to compare it to it's just very odd you do all those things it seems like it would alienate the classic supporter yeah because it's not the club that they grew up with and they fell in love with i mean they're obviously happy about them winning but it's just so contrived and forced and faked in a lot of way now don't get me wrong like you can you can't have anything but the utmost respect for guardiola and his players because over the last two seasons they've averaged 99 points a season which is absolutely ridiculous in the most expensive league in the world and they've done it in a manner where they haven't compromised their principles or their style it's been done in you know trademark possession football attacking Guardiola way so you can't take anything away from the players at Guardiola but the club as an entity I mean a lot of their fans complain about how they don't get the requisite media coverage of their success demands and deserves and they don't get enough respect but i mean when you spend that much money i think the the minimum expectation would be for you to win and then when you look at you know their european their european travails then you kind of think well surely they should do better so i think i think a lot of their like their their new age fans are very conspiratorial and think the whole world is against them but just it's just people can see them for what they are you're a shill for despots in the UAE. I mean, it's that simple. They are perfuming human rights abuses by virtue of your club and that light blue. Yeah, and they're doing it in a way where basically they're bending all of the financial rules that are supposed to govern the game. They're circumventing FFP. I mean, there's more or less smoking gun evidence. Uh, it's been investigated for quite a while and... Uh, there doesn't seem to be any resolution in sight, but hopefully there will be. And I'm not just saying that because they're competing with my club. You would just want there to be a sense of fairness, a level playing field amongst all these clubs. Otherwise, it just gets boring. It'll, you know, your support will nearly feel useless because you're just swimming against the tide all the time. So, could go on for another thirty minutes easily because uh, there's just strange brew somewhere between the UAE sure. and uh, and Manchester with this club. 
So sure, let's yeah. uh, let's pivot over to the team on the pitch and who we expect. Looking at their run in, so obviously sitting in second with twenty five points, six points behind us. Uh, coming in eight one and two with another crazy goal differential. I mean, it's just a goal machine. The way Sterling's playing, the way that offense functions. So thirty four goals for 10 against plus 24 in goal differential. Um, we're at like 18 and their last five away in the league. Um, they beat palace and of course Everton, cause I think you just show up and they fall over. They lost, yes. <laughs> they lost, lost to Norwich and they beat Bournemouth and West Ham. So pretty scot-free away. Um, but you can't say that they played, the best team in the league this year and they haven't. So this is why this is so interesting. And they're, if you were to look at their setup versus Southampton, uh, you had Sterling Aguero and Bernardo Silva, David Silva, Gundogan and, and Kevin De Bruyne, Silva, David Silva goes off with an injury, right? Um, and then the back line of Angelino that Pep has been playing with, Fernandinho at left center back with Laporte out and Otamendi being so terrible and stones being thrown in and then Walker and Ederson questions about whether Ederson is injured or not. Like, <laughs> what do you think they're thinking going into this from a setup perspective? So if you looked at the game last season, which finished nil up, in fairness, they had they had the chance to win the game when Mares skied a penalty over the bar that uh, he basically took off Aguero, who's never scored at Anfield, incidentally. <laughs> Still, uh, that's right. Yeah, and in that game, um, in that game, Guardiola played relatively conservatively, you know, compared to how he usually does. Uh, it was the second time he's done that against Klopp. He done it in the Bundesliga with uh, Bayern Munich against Klopp's Dortmund, where he played Javi Martinez or less an attacking midfielder, so he could hit long balls from. I think Martinez is about six foot three, big burly figure, so well adept at winning long balls. So he's shown in the past that he's not afraid to kind of change tact for these kind of games. So it'll be interesting to see whether he does that at the weekend. I have my doubts because with there being a six point gap and Liverpool already having, you know, you mentioned City's last few games there, they're all been relatively easy. They actually haven't played anyone this season who's been above seventh, whereas Liverpool have played United, Chelsea, Arsenal. You know, they've played Leicester. They've played, they've played most of the hard teams already. So I think that they probably feel like they'll need to go at this game and attack Liverpool, and that should play into Liverpool's hands. Also, the fact that they'll have quite possibly have Fernandinho centre-half, but even if they don't, uh, Otamendi and Stones aren't good defenders. Yeah, they're just not. I mean... You, you can get into the argument that Guardiola's teams don't defend in the conventional way. They keep the ball. That's their mode of defending. But, yeah. you know, if you're trusting Otamendi and Stones to keep Liverpool's front three quiet, well, then best of luck to you. Um, Rodri is apparently back in training. but once Is he again, back in training? Wow, they're saying late, late November. But, yeah, I mean, you, classic city. you know the deal with, with these injury reports and in the big games. Yeah. Like, I don't trust it. So even if Rodri was flying fit, which he won't be, I would still think he'd have a very tough afternoon in Anfield because, you know, he is a played in Spanish football. And I'm not saying that there aren't teams that press high or are intense in Spanish football. 
but to come into the cauldron that will be Anfield. And thankfully, you know, it's going to be a half-four kickoff in November. It's going to be under the lights. Games under the lights at Anfield take on a different element. Yep. It just heightens the atmosphere. It's going to be a late enough game. People will have a few pints in them that will oil their vocal, vocal cords. It'll be louder. <laughs> It'll be more intense. And I really hope Liverpool go for the juggler in this one because last year they played, you know, they kind of played kind of within themselves as well. They didn't really make many great chances. And ultimately, the games against City are, is what lost us the title, really. Um, obviously, we got turned over 2-1 at the Etihad in January. We drew the game at Anfield nil all about October time. So I really hope we go for them because they have a soft underbelly and it's very exposed now, more so than it's probably ever been since since Guardiola's first season. So I think it's a game that we really, really need to go for and just impose ourselves on them and not vice versa. If you look at, so for those that we expect out, so you're saying Laporte probably not. Um, well, I'm, not, I'm saying Laporte probably not. He's not till February, so no problem there. Um, mm-hmm. Zinchenko is got a knee and I trust that through December. Those that I kind of look sideways at, I mean, David Silva had quad late November, same thing with Rodri. So I think one of those two very likely will make the 11. I think he might go, uh, Fernandinho as a six, probably De Bruyne and, um, he might put Bernardo in there because he's quite tenacious despite, yeah. you know, being relatively small. <laughs> and then he'll probably have Sane, or not Sane, rather, or Mares, rather, Sterling and Aguero. That's how I imagine um, they will line up. But uh, I'd be quite confident with that as a Liverpool fan because Fernandinho is a great player. Like, let's not mm-hmm. mince words here. He's a fantastic player. But he's really lucked his 34 years in the last few months. Um, the, uh, referees have seemed to have cottoned on to his tactical fouling shtick because he's been sent off this season and he's been booked a couple of times. Whereas last season, he was like the Teflon Don. He could have brought a bazooka onto the pitch and shot someone and he would have escaped the booking. You got so, it. So it feels like that Amazon Prime documentary where they talk on camera about tactical fouling has kind of made a rod for their own backs. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was obvious anyway, but we're talking about English referees. Obvious doesn't always mean they'll do the right thing. But I think that uh, I think that he's not looked the, like the player he was. He kind of looks a bit rickety. And I'm just thinking whether we'll start Oxlade-Chamberlain because I could see Ox absolutely eviscerating him when it comes to physicality, when it comes to pace, and when it comes to being direct. Let's get into our boys. You're perfect transition because I like talking about Liverpool too. So <laughs> we're coming in. 10-1-0, good for first place, 16-goal uh, differential advantage. So, I mean, it, not an advantage. We're, <laughs> City's blowing us away in that category, as they usually do. Good for 31 points, six points clear. Uh, our last five in the league at home. We beat Spurs, as we know, Leicester, Arsenal, Newcastle, and Norwich. There's, like, no blemishes whatsoever. So that's positive. Um, the likely 11, I kind of put this in an AKA my pipe dream because any 11 that includes Navicata, I think for the last two years since he's been here, like is by definition a pipe dream, especially in big matches like this. But I would love to see him next to Fabinho next to Genie. How high am I? I think you're two thirds, right? Um, <laughs> the other midfield berth kind of depends on, I think he was back in training today, but Henderson was sick. He had a virus. 
So whether he's, you know, physically able enough to play, I'd say he probably would play. Henderson, um, I would play Ox 150%. One, he has a brilliant record against City. Scored against them in the Premier League and in Europe in 17-18 before he got injured. And in the game, he didn't score against them. He was still good in the 2-1 victory at the Etihad for Liverpool. He just, he's the kind of player they can't handle because he's powerful, he's direct, he's bloody-minded. Ox, for me, is like the antithesis of the Twitter-rated modern footballer who people who barely watch the game will go onto some app and be like, oh, well, he had 96%, you know, passing percentage success. Whereas Oxlade-Chamberlain is just a player that goes for the jugular all the time, just direct, 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 direct. So he's the kind of player they struggle to deal with because they have artists in midfield we have artisans (laughs) ox can be both but there's no way any of their midfielders can stack up to him physically he's a bear of a man he's explosively quick he he played rugby in school as a kid he's better like like an nfl player yeah because once you kind of watch rugby you can understand the way he plays because he explodes into space it's all about you know transitioning very quickly into space that's why he's a perfect clock player and you know City play a high line so there will be space somewhere so he's the ideal player to drive at them you know to bring players out of position and to make space for others the only question is can he play two games on the bounce like that yeah because of his injury the nature of his injury was so bad players who have done their ligaments like that are six times more likely to have that injury happen to them again than players who haven't. Whoa. Yeah. They have to be conservative with them. And I think that's kind of maybe the same in the way they treat Keita as well. I mean, people talk about whether Klopp has a favorite midfield or not. I genuinely think he goes horses for courses. So he has like Liverpool have a lot of midfielders. So I genuinely think he just picks certain players for certain games against certain opposition. And this kind of talk of, you know, Klopp doesn't rate Keita or whatever is nonsense, in my opinion. So, <laughs> yeah, so, so many people, question, so many people want Keita to fail. It's kind of hilarious. I think people were like that with Jordan Henderson as well when he was at the beginning, when he was earmarked yeah. as Gerard's heir, heir apparent. Mm-hmm. And like, nobody has ever said that Keita is the next Gerard. No one ever said that Henderson is the next Gerard. Like, Keita mm-hmm. has a number eight. That's fine. It's just a number. Like, it's, there's no mythical status attached to it. But there is this, there is this element of fans, and it's kind of driven on by certain media outlets who, you know, are unbelievably harsh in their assessment of him. Even though, you know, to my mind, by the Arsenal game, he's been good in every game this season. Not to digress too far off <laughs> off cue. No, it's okay. So for this, it doesn't seem like we have a ton of impactful injuries and and folks missing from this as a result. So Shaq, I mean, it's just the continued sad story of can't seem to get a run of games or a game. Um, so he yeah. and Matt Matip sitting on the bench or not even making the bench as it, as it were. I guess as you look at this, like matchups and what to look for. I mean, for me, the first is Sterling, Sterling, Sterling. Mm. Because uh, yeah, you'll have that, that three man attack. I can see Aguero getting the start. I mean, after Jesus missed that pen, it's kind of awesome. Um, <laughs> So you've got Sterling, who's like having a career year. This is like probably peaking for for his career versus Trent. And that's going to be tough. That's going to be a tough matchup, right? Because of the pace Sterling has and his ability to orchestrate. How do you see it? 
Yeah, for sure. Sterling is a brilliant player. Um, <clears throat> he's he's uh, he's reached heights that Manny like had predicted for him when he was nearly the star at the end of Liverpool's 13-14 season. Um, Suarez rightly deserves a lot of credit for that season because he probably had the best individual season in Premier League history. He was unbelievable. But uh, really in the tail end of the title race, Sterling, who was a teenager at the time, really stepped up and carried the can for Liverpool. So he's a... He's a prodigious talent. He's working under one of the best coaches, you know, maybe of recent times in Pep Guardiola. Uh, and he plays in a team that suits his strengths. So he's really come into himself and become a fantastic footballer and a role model for his, you know, for his dedication to kind of preventing racism or, you know, trying to educate people about racism and what have you. But uh, it's certainly going to be an interesting battle because you're thinking... <clears throat> Does that mean Trent will be maybe pinned back a little bit more than he usually is and unable to do his playmaking duties because he's occupied with Sterling? Yeah, right. So from that regard, you could see why Henderson would make sense because Henderson is okay with just being that selfless and facilitating Trent to go forward and you know to cover Salah as well because that's where Liverpool's creativity is. It's at right side. It's Salah playing, you know, cutting in off the right onto a strong left foot, and it's it's Trent you know, overlapping him and playing in field. So that that's the creative hub of this Liverpool side. So <clears throat> I can see that uh, Guardiola playing Sterling there because maybe in a way he thinks it might be able to pin back Liverpool and kind of disrupt that flow somewhat. What kind of creativity is, well, is Klopp willing to start in the midfield? You know, so you've got Henderson that can cover, but will... I mean, to your point about Ox and too many days in the bounce, like, would you start him given that knee or, or Keita for that matter? Um, both played. I would trust both to start. Keita started this game last season. I think a lot of people seem to forget that. No, I, I, I remember it. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, the funny thing about this is Genie Wijnaldum can do all of those things I just mentioned to you about Ox. Like, evidently, he's done it for Liverpool. I wouldn't say a lot of times, but he has done it, especially in big European games at yeah, home. That's true. Like he, he was absolutely he, amazing in the semi-final against Barcelona. Yep. He shows up in big games. That That is true about Genie. He came off the bench angry that he was dropped and he just proceeded to drop an absolute masterclass. He was physical. He was vicious. That's the thing. I think I've said this before, but that's what's not, that's what makes him not a world-class player is that, He's nearly too much of a nice guy. He's so happy-go-lucky, smiling all the time. Mm -hmm. If he was this kind of vicious, driven... If you could, like, take Roy Keane's personality and just, like, inject into Wijnaldum on match days and just let him run run amok, he, he would be a Ballon d'Or winner. He would be, like, peak caca because he's physical, he's skillful. He has all of these things in his locker. And that's not to dispute that he does a good tactical job for the team covering for Robertson and being a conduit you know, to Mane and Robertson on that left-hand side because he does and he's important. But he can be that player. And if Ox doesn't play, which I, I don't think he will, but if he doesn't play, he can do that role. It's just whether, you know, he has the confidence on the day to do it. But yeah. I really believe in his ability because, like I mentioned about Ox's physicality, Wijnaldum has that in spades. He He's much more physically dominant than any of the midfielders City could use. Shield the ball to get out of trouble, to make the incisive pass. Yep, and he has a brilliant ass. Yeah, he does. Yeah, <laughs> his low center of gravity and his ass is just brilliant. <laughs> yeah, you heard that on the Talk On podcast. We're getting into physiques. Um, <laughs> 
What do you think about the attack? So obviously, you know, we've got Mane, who's been on a tear this year. Firmino, who started like unplayable and now is kind of, you know, having hot and cold performances, but still doing the work. And then you've got Salah, who is, you know, been relatively cold throughout the year. And I think you're going to see more of him towards the second half. And I think you saw a little bit more versus Gank. I love to say that. Gank. I love that word. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. I think some of the criticism of Salah is crazy. Oh, for sure. <laughs> My question uh, is, like, it, do you think he's, like, you know, getting back into that world-class form, or do you think he's still in the woods a bit? Okay, so against Gank, he obviously had a brilliant assist for Oxlade-Chamberlain. Like, that... He, I think he still kind of is typecast as just being this kind of quick poacher. But he is so much a better footballer than he gets credit for. And in the in the first leg, he had an assist for Mane, which was absolutely brilliant. Uh, another time in the game on uh, on Tuesday, he dinked a lovely reverse ball for Oxley Chamberlain that the keeper just got to ahead of him. Yeah. So he is so much a better footballer than he's given credit for. And I think he is so much more to the team than just a goal scorer. But yeah, like evidently, his he hasn't been as sharp in front of goal as 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 he was previously. But you have to take into consideration like the fact that he got that bad injury. Um, he clearly wasn't fit in the in the first game against against Gang, despite the fact that he scored and assisted. Um, he didn't look entirely fit versus Spurs, but. You know, with, with the way the medical science is and the physio teams at Liverpool, we rarely get injuries. So if they're playing him, it's for good reason. And I think that reason is to get him back fully fit and firing. And I think, I have a feeling he's going to be very good against City. It's just the cream can't help itself but rise to the top. And people who should know better than to write off, you know, the two in a row golden boot winner who always plays well against City at home, they should know better than to write him off. And I think he'll be licking his lips at proving people wrong on Sunday. And like we mentioned with their defense, not being the sturdiest, I think he's going to have a big game. I, I just, I just feel it like he's definitely going to get sent off now after about five minutes. or something. <laughs> but, uh, and I was just going to ask you about what is, you know, his matches, big matches very often. There's something unexpected that happens that affects the outcome whether it's a penalty late or <laughs> like stamping early, you know, accumulated yellows, whatever. Like, what do you think unexpected about this is likely to happen? <laughs> I know that sounds almost counterintuitive. I can kind of see something like Liverpool fans, like freaking that either Lovren or Henderson starts. Yeah. And then one of them scoring <laughs> because just, the way football is, it's just an absolute nonsense that makes zero sense. But you can kind of predict the nonsense at times. So it'll be like something like Henderson will start putting like a four out of ten performance like he did before he scored against Spurs. But all of a sudden he'll get a chance at the end of the box and he'll like power it into the top corner because uh, he's done that against City at Anfield before in 14-15. He scored an absolute worldy against Joe Hart. In a game that Liverpool won, uh, undeservedly won actually three two yeah. against Pellegrini. Against Pellegrini, City it was at the time. I think it was a game where Sterling played false nine. Uh, Coutinho also scored a banger in that game. We basically scored from a set piece and two world class goals, stuff that you couldn't replicate in every game. <laughs> so that, in terms of that, that squad yeah. certainly couldn't. Oh God! 
bad times. Such a really, really long year after the heights of 13, 14. Um, yeah. So, okay. Going into this one, what are you seeing score wise? Like, do you think this is us asserting our will, blowing them away? Or do you think this is a draw? Do you think this, you know, God forbid something go real wrong, like Mane versus Ederson, right? <laughs> yeah. I think, first of all, we're going to need to start keeping clean shoots soon. No kidding. So I, I couldn't be that confident of a clean sheet against their attack, and especially given the fact that Lovren will play. Um, you think that's dead on? It's going to be a level? Because mm, Gomez hasn't exactly covered himself in glory, right? Coming that's back what I mean, it. you know. Yeah, it's all well and good slating Lovren when he plays poorly, and, you know, God knows that we all do. But the onus is on Gomez when he plays to play well enough to force Gop's hand. Yeah. Um, he wasn't good against Arsenal. There's no two ways about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was okay against Genk at home. I saw a lot of people maybe overreacting to that performance, saying that he was very poor. I thought he was he was fine. Um, but not good to the extent where Klopp is probably like, I know I'm pr- going to throw him in against one of the best attacks in Europe with basically no rhythm. So, you know, Lovren has very much struggled with Aguero's movement in the past. If if you want Lovren, like I'm not a fan of his, so I wouldn't really want him to play much at all. But if you want Lovren to play, it's against a big, powerful striker who has predictable movements because he can try and wrestle him and he can try and win the physical battle with him. And then Van Dijk can clear up. What you don't want is someone who's cute and who's sly in their movements, like Aguero, who can drag him out of position, yeah. who can bring him into the wide channels where he doesn't want to be and can, who can leave him exposed. So that's, that, that's the worry about that. But um, I think though we'll pick quite a defensively robust team. It'll probably be Fabinho, Wijnaldum and Henderson, and it'll be a case of getting press as your best playmaker. So I think we might win this 3-1. Everyone. Mm. Yeah, I just I just feel that Salah is going to be good. It's a nighttime game at the cop. I think the atmosphere is going to be crazy. Um, I think City are going to have to play in such a manner that will suit us. So it, it could be like nearly a perfect storm. Because uh, even if they draw, they're still six points behind. And with much, much tougher games than Liverpool to come. Yeah. So another inflection if you were them, point. Yeah. Like last year it was um, playing them could have been 10 points clear versus we left two points or four points, yep. something like that. Um, yeah. We've got that same upside here and the city's coming in wounded back line. You know, it's been patchwork, even though it's spent like half a billion pounds on, on defenders. They, can't seem to like handle injuries as well. It's like, and a pattern I've noticed against City for Liverpool recently has been how good Liverpool have been in the second half. Um, in the game in January, Liverpool were poor enough until Fabinho came on, and then suddenly they were the better team. Um, in the Community Shields, Liverpool were okay in the first half, much better in the second half. Probably should have won that game. As much as that game doesn't matter, yeah. no one will care about it or remember it in a few years' time. But it's it's something that I've noticed as kind of a as kind of a recurring feature in these games. So I hope that we kind of can impose ourselves from the start, and if we could get an early goal and then make them chase it, 
make them play into our press. I remember, I remember the time when we beat them 3-0 at Anfield in the Champions League. I put up that, uh, that gif of uh, Sideshow Bob walking into all the rakes from the Simpsons. <laughs> and I, and I, captioned, I captioned it City playing into Liverpool's press because they kept doing the same thing. Yeah. They'd like play it till about, you know, till about the centre circle. All of a sudden, Emre Chan would swarm them. Oxley chamberlain would swarm them. Henderson would swarm them. Firmino would swarm them. We kept winning turnovers and driving at them. Yeah, this is the recurring nightmare in their head. Like, this is what wakes Guardiola up at night every night. That plus because, Champions League. Yeah, yeah, because it's such an uncomfortable thing to play against because you're like, okay, if we can't play short for them, what are we going to do? We're going to hit it long. What's going to happen? Van Dijk is going to head everything. <laughs> so, like, if a team as accomplished as they are on the ball, and believe me, they're probably the best passing team in the world, cannot regularly play through that squeeze, and you just know how good Liverpool's press is. And for a lot of games this season, we haven't, have, we haven't had to employ our press that much because we've owned the ball. You know, we've played against teams who have sat back against us and defended against us. So in, in a lot of ways, this could actually be a game that suits us because what Klopp famously once said, and I'll repeat it again, that Gegen Pressing is the best playmaker. He said there's no number 10 in the world who is as effective as an efficient counterpress. So you, you, think, you, you think we can turn it on, turn it off, turn it on again? Like we, we haven't been doing it, to your point, haven't been doing it as much this year, but you think situationally we can handle it? Yeah, like you're right that it's not like a tap and it is difficult. But I mean, by all accounts, Klopp's training sessions are unbelievably intense and nearly at the level of a match. And we have a big squad full of good players. So I'm sure, you know, training has been quite intense this week. Um they had they played the Genk game a day earlier than City as well, so that's maybe a little bit of an advantage over what they had. Uh, City had to play some of that game, remainder of that game with ten men, and they were away in Italy, so maybe there's little marginal gains to be had there. So I think it's certainly something they can do because you know they've done it in the past. So so incredible seeing Bravo sent off after Ederson goes out with injury. <laughs> wow. Incidentally, I was disgusted by Atalanta, how bad they were with seven out of minutes against 10 men with a right back and goal. Right. They were terrible. They, were, they made me sick how bad they were. The opportunity is like sitting right in front of your face and you can't execute your home. It's so weird. Okay. I, I think that sums up a really good preview of what's to come at the weekend. Uh, for all of our listeners, we've got instant analysis expected right after the match positive, negative, or somewhere in between, you will have Brian Painter, Tyler Vinyl, and some guests and probably some drinks along with it. So tune in, check it out. Um, we'll be back, I'm sure, next week to kind of decompress and understand all of the intricacies that went on. And uh, John, appreciate you joining. Uh, until next time, y'all, <laughs> talk on. Talk on. <laughs>